0: This morning, you're a friendly bunch of people. I love it. So, we are starting our Advent teaching series today. Uh, Some of our alert connectors last Sunday reminded me that I said it was our Lent teaching series. It is not Lent, and uh, we're nowhere near Easter. We're coming up on Christmas, and so those of you that Uh, follow a more traditional church calendar. This is the first Sunday of the Advent season, and we're starting a new series today. And we're asking the question, what do you do when your whole world changes? And each week of this message series, we're going to be looking at different characters from the Christmas story, and we're going to see how they reacted when their whole world changed. So we're going to be talking about baby Jesus, obviously, but we're also going to look at the character of the innkeeper who turned Joseph and Mary away. We're going to be looking at King Herod. And today we're going to be looking at Joseph and Mary. And we're going to be talking about how an unexpected pregnancy changed their whole world. And so today I'm calling this message An Unexpected Pregnancy. Crisis, an unexpected crisis. And I think probably many of us can relate to the experience of Joseph and of Mary because most of us have faced at some point or another in our lives an unexpected crisis. Maybe for you today, you are currently facing an unexpected crisis. And I've just been thinking about different things that maybe some of us may be. Facing that would be any in some way similar to what Joseph and Mary faced. Maybe you uh, are asking yourself the question what do I do when that early pregnancy test stick, that little white stick, isn't at all what I was hoping for when I took that test? Or what do you do when your spouse comes home some evening and says, I'm sorry, but there's somebody else in my life. Or what do you do when the doctor comes into the room and tells you that the diagnosis is bad? In fact, it's really bad. What do you do when your whole world changes? And here's the deal these scenarios that I've just painted for you today aren't fairy tales. In fact, for anybody who's ever lived through that kind of crisis, you know that it's actually a nightmare. And I want you to know today that the Christmas story isn't a fairy tale either. In fact, I think what you're going to see today as we unpack this story of Joseph and Mary, uh, I think if you can put yourself in their shoes, you'd probably agree with me their situation was a nightmare as well. It, It was an unexpected crisis. But what we're going to see today is that Joseph and Mary each made a very difficult decision. Each one of them chose to trust God in their crisis. And what I want you to remember today when you walk out of here is this. I hope you'll be able to say, you can trust God in your crisis. Whatever your crisis is, I hope that today when you leave this place, you'll be able to say, I can trust God in my crisis. But today, if you're in a crisis right now, if you're facing one of these very difficult things, it can be really hard to trust God, can't it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes crisis can shake your faith to the core. And if we're going to be really honest with each other, The reality is that crisis may have rocked your your faith in God. And it's a natural question that every one of us can ask. If there's a God up there somewhere, why would he let this happen to me? So today we're going to take a look at how Joseph and Mary coped with their crisis but just before we jump into the Bible story, I want to give you a little background information on marriage in first century Judaism. And, and let me just in, let you in on, on how this message has come to be today today. Uh, we've got a team of people that collaborate on creating our messages, and, and Pastor Bob at our Great Falls campus is teaching the same message today. And so we have kind of a collaborative process. And when I was reading through our, our message outline this week, and I was thinking about Joseph and Mary and this unexpected pregnancy... I started reflecting on the fact that Mary was probably only 12 or 13 years old when she had baby Jesus, which in our culture, can you imagine your 12-year-old daughter having a baby? I mean, that's a crisis in itself, isn't it? And I was thinking through this story, and I asked myself the question, did Mary have any understanding at all what was going on inside of her body? Did, did Mary have any kind of sex education? That's really the question that was in my brain. So I did what any 21st century theologian does. Um, I googled it. So um, I want to share with you a little bit of uh, background information that was new to me. Uh, that that I think is fascinating and sheds a lot of light onto the crisis that Joseph and Mary Found themselves in it has all to do with the three stages of Jewish marriage. So if you're taking notes this morning, you'll want to jot these things down. And it's coming up on the screens. Note cards are right up here on the sides of the stage, and there's some back there at the welcome center. If you didn't grab one earlier, feel free to jump up and get it. There are three stages, or there were. I don't think they're 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 observed like this today, but in Jesus's day, there were three stages of Jewish marriage, and. The first stage was when the couple signed a contract. They became betrothed. And so what would happen when a, when a couple entered into the contract of marriage? Actually, a lot of times the contract would be between the parents of the children. Because many times uh, in, in Jewish culture, marriages were arranged between the families and the, the girl and the boy. Sometimes they didn't even know each other. Uh, I think a lot of times they would become agreeable. But it was often an arranged marriage. But it always involved a contract. And so it was literally a marriage contract. In, in our culture today, usually the, the marriage license is the last thing that's done. You know, a, a couple dates and then they're engaged and then they have a ceremony and reception and kind of as an afterthought, they sign the marriage license. And in fact, some of the weddings that I've done, everybody forgets the marriage license. It's just that unimportant. But in Jewish culture, this was where it all started. The marriage contract was signed first. And and what it says in our notes is that the couple at that point becomes betrothed, which is different than being engaged, because being betrothed was a contractual thing that was considered a legal marriage. So once a young man and a very young woman, sometimes as young as 12, once this couple entered into this contract, they were considered legally married. And the only way they could get out of this contract was to seek a divorce. And the divorce, uh, the divorce had to have some sort of explanation as to why, and there was a fine that would have to be paid. But once a couple was betrothed, they were under contract and they were considered married. Even though they were still living in their parents' homes, even though they were not yet sleeping together, And even though the dowry had not yet been paid, all of those things had to take place before the marriage would be consummated, but they were legally married. And so uh, in your Bibles, when we start reading this story today, some of your Bibles will say that Mary and Joseph were engaged. But that's actually a very poor translation of the Greek words that are used in the Scriptures because they were betrothed. They were under contract, and they were legally married, even though there had not yet been a sexual union between the two of them. So that's stage one. And then stage two is the next very important stage in Jewish culture, and this is the consummation. This is the consummation. And the Koopa is produced. Now, if you don't have any any Jewish friends or Jewish family, this word kupa might be a new word to you. It looks like it's pronounced chapa, but it's actually kupa. In fact, why don't you say that with me? Koopa. All right, very good. Now you speak Yiddish. Um, but this is the second stage of Jewish marriage. And, and what would happen is once the groom had paid the full dowry, it could be money or it could be livestock, any number of things. Once the dowry had been paid to the bride's father, a great celebration would take place and the bridal party would make a procession through town and they would make their way to the bridal chamber where the marriage would be consummated. And according to some of the research that I've done, uh, part of this consummation, it was very, very important to couples because in Jewish culture, it was non-negotiable. For a bride to be a virgin. And so in preparing the, the bridal bed, they would lay down a white piece of cloth on the sheets. And that's where the couple would consummate the marriage. And there would be evidence at the end of that consummation that the bride was indeed a virgin. And that little piece of cloth was called a kupa. Now, my fact checkers in first service came to me and said, Pastor Russ, that's not what a kupa is. And you might be wondering about this too. In modern techno- in modern terminology, the kupa is the tent under which a Jewish bride and groom are married. And you've seen the pictures, or maybe you've been to a Jewish ceremony, and the kupa is that big tent that's over the, the couple. And there's some conflict on Google, you know, what, whatever. I'm not worried about it. It's not that important to the thrust of our message. The, the, what I want you to understand is that it was non-negotiable for a Jewish girl to be a virgin. And if she, if she was found to not be a virgin, then the groom could divorce her. He could shame her. There would be terrible, terrible punishment for a bride that came to her bridal bed and she was not a virgin. This was a very, very important part of the Jewish marriage process. And then after that, the third stage was the celebration. And right after the couple emerged from their their wedding chambers, there would be food and dancing and music and celebration and, 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 and this would bring everything to a finality and the couple was considered completely, completely married. And so this is the context into which uh, Joseph and Mary were born, and they were betrothed to one another. Their parents had probably arranged for them to be husband and wife. And when the story opens up in Matthew chapter 1, this is where we find them. In stage 1 of their marriage, they were betrothed. They were under contract And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read the story starting at verse 18. If you've got your Bibles with with you, I encourage you to follow along with me. And uh, it'll be up on the screen as well. So here's what we read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, and you understand what they're talking about there, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff in these two verses, and I just want to unpack this for us this morning. It says that before they consummated their marriage... Mary was found to be pregnant, and it says here that the child was from the Holy Spirit. But evidently, at this point, Joseph didn't understand that the baby was from the Holy Spirit. He just knew that his bride was not a virgin, or evidently so, because she was obviously pregnant. And so Joseph had a crisis, and I think that his crisis was this. He suspected that his spouse was cheating. And so he had a couple of choices. Cheating spouse in Jewish culture means uh, I got to get a divorce. That's really the bottom line. And according to Jewish law, Joseph had a couple of choices. The first choice was this. He could divorce Mary for adultery. And I've got a chart here on this middle screen that you can see here that kind of outlines his choices for us. If he, if he were to, to divorce Mary for adultery, her reputation would be harmed. In fact, she would be shamed. Her, her reputation wouldn't just be harmed, it would be destroyed. But the dowry that Joseph would have paid to her father would be returned to him, and because Mary was at fault, he would not have to pay the fine to the temple. It was a 50 shekel fine. But if he divorced Mary and didn't list the reason, just divorced her for no cause, then his own reputation would be harmed because he would be breaking a legal contract. But by doing that, the dowry would be surrendered to Mary's family. All of that money, livestock, whatever that he paid would be gone, and he would have to pay the 50 shekel fine. So it was to Joseph's advantage to choose choice number one and divorce Mary for adultery. But what the Bible tells us that her, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He wasn't going to make a big scandal. And here's what I see about Joseph. This is a good man. This is a really good man. And I kind of think that Joseph had probably already given his heart to Mary. He loved this woman. And he was probably grieved, but he wasn't going to shame her. He was actually going to lose a whole lot of money by divorcing her and just saying, no cause, I just want out. But then Joseph's plan is interrupted. Let's keep reading the story. Pick up at verse 20. It says, as he considered these things, behold... Now, I have dreams every once in a while, and sometimes I have spiritual dreams, but most of the time I wake up in the morning, and if I can remember my dreams, I usually blame them on whatever I ate at midnight the night before. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? And and let's be real here. This angel came to Joseph... In a dream, and this is a pretty bizarre message in the dream. And I think that if I had been in Joseph's shoes, I would have woken up the next morning and said, you know what, that pizza that I ate last night probably had been in the refrigerator too long because I had this really weird dream. But that's not what Joseph did. The story goes on and says, when Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So you know what Joseph chose in this time of huge crisis? Joseph chose to trust the Lord. He chose to trust the Lord. And it's impossible for us to know everything that was going on in Joseph's mind. But I think maybe he pondered the Old Testament scriptures that he had been taught from childhood. And I wonder if maybe he meditated on something like this verse from the Psalms. The word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. I wonder if Joseph just pondered that verse. And in this crisis, he made the decision to trust the Lord. And, and what I want to say to you today is if you are facing some kind of crisis today, whether it's unexpected or you've been going through it for a while, I want you to know that, like Joseph, you can trust God in your crisis you can trust god in your crisis but now let's talk about this crisis from mary's perspective because her story is a little bit different and we're going to read her story from the gospel of luke if you want to turn in your bible to luke chapter 1 and here's what we read about mary starting at verse 26 But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now again, if I can just insert myself into the story and imagine what Mary must have felt I wonder how she felt when the angel said, don't be afraid, you've found favor with God. And you're pregnant out of wedlock. Congratulations, Mary. Have you ever had people just say those really super spiritual platitudes to you when you're in a crisis? I wonder if that's how Mary felt. You know, things like, you know, God has a purpose for this in your life. And you just want to give them a black eye when they say that, right? Or, uh, you you know, I've I've heard this one sometimes. God must have needed another angel in heaven. And you want to say, you know, that, that that just doesn't wash with me. Sometimes those platitudes hurt, don't they? And I wonder if that's how Mary felt here. My mom used to say when, when, I was, when I was younger and I would be in a crisis, I'd call my mom and, 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 and just having a hard time. And she would always say, honey, it will look better in the spring. And I wanted to crawl through that phone line and strangle her. Especially if it was like June and spring was 11 months away, right? But the reality was, Mary was in a crisis, right? Mary is in a crisis, and her crisis was an unplanned pregnancy. And I know that some of you know exactly how that feels. You've been there. But just imagine, even if you've never been in this situation, put yourself in Mary's shoes. You're way too young to have a baby. Girls this young died in childbirth in those days. It's not your husband's child. You're going to be shunned by your whole family. I mean, think about what must have been going through her mind. What would you have done? What would you have said to the angel who said, congratulations, you've found favor with God. What would you have said? What would you have done? Well, Mary's response to this crisis has become a model for women all over the world, here's what she said. She said, "Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your world, according to your word." What an extraordinary response to this outrageous crisis! Just like Joseph, Mary's choice was to trust. The Lord. Mary trusted the Lord. And maybe Mary had learned in her very short life to live her life according to the promises of the Old Testament. Maybe she thought about a verse like this one from the book of Proverbs that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Maybe that was going through Mary's mind and she was able to make the choice to really, really trust the Lord. And again, today I want to encourage you, if you're in crisis today, you can trust the Lord in your crisis. You can trust the Lord In your crisis, whatever it is, and I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you can really relate to Joseph, and it appears that your spouse has cheated on you. Maybe you're in that kind of crisis, and you could take revenge, you could destroy her reputation, you could let anger and bitterness take root in your heart, or you can trust the Lord in your crisis. Or maybe like Mary, you're facing an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe it's rocking your world. And you know, today, women have many more choices than Mary had in first century Palestine. What choice will you make? I'm, I'm so thankful that here in Bozeman, we have an organization called Zoe Care. Wonderful organization that helps families deal with a crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. They are a blessing to our community. And listen, if you ever find yourself in that situation, you can trust the Lord in your crisis. Or if your doctor has given you a a terrifying diagnosis or if you've lost somebody you love just recently, I don't know, whatever the crisis is in your life, I want to encourage you, really open your heart, open your mind to this possibility that you can trust the Lord in your crisis. Listen to another promise from the Bible, the book of Psalms. It says, God, your faithfulness extends to every generation. Would you say every generation? Every generation. God's faithfulness is not just for Joseph and Mary. It extends to every generation. This means you, your generation. God's faithfulness extends to you. It's as enduring as the earth that God created. And Joseph and Mary stand as enduring examples of faith for all Christians down through the centuries. But we have an even more compelling reason to trust God. I want you to hear me right now. The reason you can trust God is because of Jesus. Jesus is the guarantee that God will keep his promises. Jesus is is the reason that we can trust God in the crisis. That's what this song talks about. I want you to hear the lyrics to this song. Why You Can Trust God. It's because of the last verse of that song. God kept his promise about everything to do with Jesus. God promised Mary that this baby would be born to save his people from their sins. And God kept his promise. Centuries before, there had been prophecies. God had told his people, I will send a messiah. And the Messiah will come and save my people from their sins. And Jesus came. And Jesus died. And he paid the price for salvation for you and for me and for every person who's ever put their faith in Jesus. Just like God promised. And Jesus promised that after three days in the tomb, he would rise again. And three days later, he was found alive. The stone was rolled away. There wasn't a body in the tomb. God kept his promise. And the reason I can trust God in my crisis, the reason you can trust God in yours, is because God has guaranteed with his son Jesus that he always keeps his promises. And whatever it is that you're facing today, friends, you can trust him because God is always faithful. And he won't let you down. He won't let you down. Can we pray together? Would you put your things aside? In fact, let's just stand up together if you don't mind. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving the world so much that you gave your only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. And thank you, Father, that you not only promised a Savior, but you sent a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just promise that you would rise from the dead, but you really rose from the dead. Thank you, God, that when you promise that you will be faithful, that you won't let us go, that you won't forget us, that you won't let us uh, suffer more than we can bear, that we won't be tempted beyond what we can bear. Lord, thank you that all of these promises are things that we can count on. You are faithful. And today, Lord, for each one of us that are struggling and and pondering this crisis and the faith uh, that we question at these times, Jesus, come and be near to us today. And help us to connect to you again and to trust in you completely. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.